0: Good afternoon, everybody. Say for the solemnity of Corpus Christi, I'm going to look at the gift of the Eucharist, but within a very contemporary frame. If you've been paying attention over the course of the past several weeks or months, there has been a lot of debate in the Catholic news, Catholic world at least, about giving Holy Communion to politicians who publicly support and promote abortion as a good. And so there's really actually been a fair amount of arguing amongst different bishops, some who want to make statements saying this is not possible, others who say that they shouldn't say anything, even the Vatican has gotten involved. And I'm not going to get involved in that drama anyway today. I do want to take and sort of look at it, some of the things that are being said, make some distinctions to try to better understand what is at the heart of this debate. This idea, this teaching, that certain politicians who advocate abortion as a good publicly ought not receive communion. And so the fundamental thing that we've got to understand not just about politicians but about anyone when we approach the Eucharist, that the Eucharist is the most sacred thing that we have as Catholics. We truly believe it is the body and blood of Jesus, the Son of God, under the appearances of bread and wine. And if you read sort of the history of, of churches and religion and faith, Every religion, almost every culture, has considered certain things sacred, holy, set apart, not profane, and that there are rules that go along with protecting and and being present to those things that are considered sacred objects or sacred places. There deserves a certain reverence, certain rules and regulations. And that not everybody can just go up and approach the sacred thing. Not everybody has a right to access this sacred thing. The Jews, if you look at the temple, there was a court of the Gentiles. If you were not a, 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 a circumcised Jew, you couldn't go closer to the Holy of Holies. And in fact, in the Holy of Holies, only the high priest one day a year could go into that. Why? Because with things that are holy, there are often lines of demarcation, there are rules and regulations. If you want to really understand what happens when you mess with the holy, go watch Indiana Jones. Those Nazis and that Frenchman Belloc had no authority to touch the holy of holies, the Ark of the Covenant. And guess what happened? Their faces melted. Not that your face is going to melt, but the point is, there are not only rules, but there are repercussions when we do not handle that which is holy properly. And probably the best way for us to understand this, and I've learned this over my years here at Wisdom, is through the Greek system on campus. Now, this is going to sound crazy. When it comes to sororities and fraternities, I've understood a lot about them and how it helps us to understand the church and the Eucharist. Now, I was not a fraternity boy, um, and, nor was I involved with the sorority system, but I get it now is that let's say that there is someone who joins a certain sorority. And remember that sorority. And that sorority is going to have different gatherings that are open to everybody. Friends can come, members of other sororities, fraternities, everyone's invited. But in each sorority or fraternity, there are certain rites and rituals and things that take place that only members of the sorority can take place in, can be involved in. So if you're a KD and you have this special rite or this ritual or this thing that you do, someone from AOPI can't get involved in that. Does it mean that you're judging them, that you're looking down on them? Not at all. Everyone understands this distinction. It's not very difficult to grasp. And so in the same way, we as Catholics say that if you are not a baptized Catholic, you can come into church, you can go to mass, but you can't receive the Eucharist. So it's not being judgmental. It flows from the logic of how we approach the sacred. Now, let's say that you're in a, member of a sorority, and then you go out and maybe on Saturday night have a little bit too much to drink. And what's going to happen is everybody sees it, and so you, on Monday morning, are get called into standards. And they're going to say, you did not act appropriately, so guess what? You're not able to go to this meeting, or you're not able to go to this event until you sort of make reparation for what you did. Also, let's say that you fail a class. You're going to get called into academics. They're not going to judge you. They're not going to condemn you. But hey, until you pull your grades up, you are not going to be able to be involved in these certain activities. Zero people have a problem with this because there's an inherent logic to it. So in the same way as Catholics, if we fall into mortal sin, particularly if we live a life of deep mortal sin and refuse to repent then you can't receive the Eucharist until you go to confession, until you make things right. It's the same exact logic. So what is the problem, though? Why is it that we can understand that, the rules of the sacred, how fraternities and sororities work, but not be able to apply it to the church and the Eucharist? Why does there seem to be such a difficulty? Why can't we have that eucharistic coherence as they're talking about in the news and so what I want to do is not get into the political sense I want to look at our understanding particularly of the eucharist and to be able to sort of as I like to do often peel back the onion to realize that there are a lot of issues at play here not just what a politician should do or shouldn't do There are a lot of things that are interconnected. In fact, there are five of them. So I'm going to signpost it so we do not get lost. First of all, is that there used to be this song, we used to sing it over here. After about a month of me being here, we quit singing it. It was called, All Are Welcome. This is the reality. Everyone is invited to come to church. But all are not welcome to receive communion. I know that sounds offensive. We're not judging, we're not trying to be exclusive, but Jesus said the same thing. Hey, everybody, come to the wedding. But people get to the wedding, guess what? They're not dressed appropriately. Oh, sorry, you can't come in, until you dress appropriately. All are invited, but all are not welcome. You've gotta be in full communion with the church, a baptized Catholic, one who is not living in the state of mortal sin, in order to receive the gift of the Eucharist. We're not judging. We're not condemning. We're not trying to be exclusive. We're just trying to be coherent. But the real issue here, more than us saying you ought not receive communion, is if you look at the teachings of the church, it's really up to the individual to refrain from presenting themselves for communion. So if you know, hey, I need to go to confession. Oh, I haven't been to mass in a long time. Oh, I'm not Catholic. You ought not present yourself to communion. The choice you ought to make out of respect for the sacred, out of respect for the rules. Let's say that you are overseas and you go into a mosque. They're going to ask you to take your shoes off before you go into that mosque. And you hopefully are going to do it out of respect for their rules. And so in the same way, I often have people I know come, and I know they're not Catholic. I said, please come to this church. We'd love to have you. But I ask you to respect the rules and not receive communion. And it's really nice when they say, Father, that makes sense. We are going to respect these rules. So a lot of people do, but a lot of people don't. And I think a lot of the times the argument I hear is, that I have a right to receive the Eucharist. I have a right to receive communion. No, you don't. No, you don't. And I'll be very clear here. We have a right to the sacrament. Priests ought to provide the sacraments. But the Eucharist is a gift. You can't claim a right to a gift. It's not fair to say that. The Eucharist is a gift, and we ought to be properly disposed to receive the gift. But the problem is, it's something I've been talking about a lot lately, is this attitude that many Americans tend to have on the right and on the left, that liberty is autonomy. I should be free to receive and do whatever I want, when I want, how I want, where I want, and I'm not going to have the church or the bishop or the government tell me either way. This is not a Catholic attitude. Liberty is not autonomy. And so we go to the second level, the second onion on one side yes as i said people maybe don't fully understand this idea of all are invited but all are not welcome but there are a lot of individuals who simply do not see the eucharist as something sacred or holy maybe they just believe it's a piece of bread or a cookie or they don't fully understand what it means to say that christ is truly presence there in substance And I'm going to be very honest as I'm going to be honest for the rest of this homily. A big reason is the church. For a number of decades, I think probably the church, the leaders, the bishops, the catechists, whatever, had the responsibility to teach about the nature of the Eucharist, but they didn't. When I was growing up, fortunately my parents taught me, but what we learned about was warm fuzzies and cold pricklies. And father would give a puppet homily. There was no talking about what the Eucharist really was. And so it's hard for people to treat it as something sacred if they didn't learn it. And then when it comes to this coming to mass, and a lot of the times, again in the 70s and 80s and even in the 90s, uh, the liturgy wasn't something that, that spoke to individuals and said, this is something holy. What we're doing here is not like what you do at the bowling alley or at the rock concert. There's bad liturgy. And so people walked in and couldn't really see, oh, this is something very, very sacred. It's one of the reasons i think that we're seeing this this move towards the latin mass in a lot of people they realize oh the eucharist is sacred but going i go to 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 saint so-and-so's parish it's a, a, a circus and so they want to seek that which is reverent fortunately i think we do a very good job of achieving a balance of reverence and piety here but there's also i think somewhat of a cause and effect here which is a bit more complicated many people don't realize that the ability to receive communion on a daily basis has only existed for about a hundred years. and Up until the beginning of the 20th century, you received once a year. And again, the canon law still states the same. Catholics are obliged to go to communion and confession at least once a year. But it's a good thing that we said the Eucharist is real, we need to receive the Eucharist and be able to receive it more frequently. But what's happened is familiarity breeds contempt. Or at least not contempt. It's just, ah, that's just a piece of bread. I'm coming to Mass. I'm getting the Eucharist. And we lose the sense of the sacred because it becomes something not unique, but something quotidian. And we lose the sense of the sacred. So we need to sort of recapture that. And I really think that's the responsibility of the church. Number three, along with a lack of understanding of the sacred, we have a real serious problem the church and our society with a lack of understanding of sin particularly the gravity and the effects of sin and once again this is primarily the church's fault for generations bishops and priests and catechists probably could have been clearer in saying this is sin this is the difference between mortal sin and venial sin these are the effects of sin they weren't clear And as a result, people fully don't understand the gravity of sin. You want to understand the gravity of sin? Look at the cross. Jesus died for our sins. It's serious business. That's why he came in the first place to die, to save us from our sins. But what happens is a lot of the times, and I see it too, people have this attitude, well, I'm a good person. I don't kill anybody. I'm a decent guy. And so, even though they know they've committed mortal sins, grave sins, I'm going to receive communion. I'm going to wait about six months to go to confession. It's not that big of a deal. It's so what I often encourage people to think about is that let's say you, you went to the doctor and the doctor said, hey, you have cancer. If we don't operate, you're going to die. And you say, well, I'm going to wait about six months. That's not that big of a deal. Well, no one would do that. So, why is it if we know that mortal sin? is grave like cancer in our soul why do we say "Eh, i'm gonna wait six months to go back to confession why because we tend to care more about our bodies than our souls or maybe we could also say that we don't understand the gravity of sin just as that other person maybe doesn't understand the gravity of cancer and therefore wants to postpone the surgery Oh, there is sin, some of it's small, but some of it is really serious business. Big infractions, the dignity of the human person on that which is sacred, the gift of life. And it's understandable there's a struggle. People don't like to go to confession. But there's a difference between, oh, I made a big sin and I'm going to confession versus a consistent, persistent, living and choosing grave sin when you know it's wrong and refusal to repent. Jesus never said, hey, fellas, ladies, believe the good news. No, he said, repent and believe the good news. John the Baptist came before Jesus to prepare his way by preaching a baptism of repentance. And so that's the thing. We don't know how to repent, or we don't think we need to repent because we do not often think that sin is very real. But fortunately... As much as we may talk about sin and the gravity of sin, we talk even more about mercy. Come to confession. God's mercy is infinite. No matter what you have chosen, he is going to show you compassion. This is the real heart of the gospel message. So connected to that is the fourth layer of the union. So why does the church and the bishops tend to make such a big deal about abortion? Why is it pro-abortion politicians shouldn't receive communion? Why isn't it other issues? We're going to make some distinctions here. First of all, these politicians we're talking about are not simply saying, personally, I think that abortion should be wrong, but I'm going to tolerate it politically. No. These individuals are promoting it as a good. This is a good thing for you to choose. And... We're going to take federal funds and pay for it. We're going to support individuals in the nation and across the globe that promote abortion. And we're going to make laws to make sure that abortion grows and is allowed and proliferates. And so the church sees this is serious business. Abortion is considered in the eyes of the church not just for religious reasons, but for some pretty logical human reasons, very, very grave matter. Now, there are other life issues, and this is what we hear a lot about. Well, Father, what about about immigration? What about poverty? What about the death penalty? And we've seen a shift, particularly in the course of the past, let's say, eight or nine years, in this thinking amongst Catholics. And it's something, as I'm going to say, needs to be discussed and thought about. But the fact of the matter is abortion is different and all these other issues these politicians may be tolerating certain evils or promoting them but it doesn't mean the direct taking of human life there may be evil that comes from this that can be very grave but there's not a willful choice to take human life there's a distinction that has to be made there but why do we consider abortion different why do we consider it the most most grave Because if abortion is what we truly say it is, it is the deliberate, intentional taking of an innocent human life, of an individual member of the human species. That's a serious business. It's murder, particularly of a a, a child at its most weak stance. Instead of protecting it, we're eradicating it. Now granted, the person who chooses abortion may not be fully culpable the 14 year old girl who finds herself pregnant and her parents force her to have an abortion did she commit something which is gravely evil yes but is she culpable for it no very very less fewer culpability is the doctor who for the past 12 years is performing late-term abortions culpable oh you better believe it he knows what's going on he's seen the, the the decimated bodies of the children and are these politicians who got money in their pocket because of abortion and are profiting from it, are they also guilty? Oh yeah, they know what's going on. That's why it's serious business. Now this is difficult though because now it's sort of been framed in this different narrative, not abortion but of reproductive rights and the woman's body, all of these things. We've got to compare this evil to other evils, and we need to have that discussion, and I'm going to say up front, the church, if she is going to say in our culture today, even to Catholics, that abortion is the most serious issue, that trumps everything else, it's got the burden of proof. But we can understand, there are going to be certain issues that trump everything else. Imagine if there was a politician who said, I'm against human trafficking, but I think we should allow it. In fact, promoting human traffic is a good thing. Everyone would lose their ever-loving mind over that. But what is abortion? If it's truly what we say it is, then maybe we're going to have to have a real legitimate dialogue about this amongst amongst Catholics in the church and amongst those who are outside of the church. But here's the final issue, the fifth part of the onion, the core of it, the part that that, that is most central. The reality is today that most Christians, Catholics, individuals reject the church and are teaching and are not really too keen on being obedient. Why? Once again, take the blame of the church. It's mostly probably as a result of the scandal and the way that so many bishops completely abdicated their responsibility, some of them in a criminal way. And so why? Their credibility is shocked. Why should we listen to these bishops? We know what they did. We also see in culture a big movement of rejection, of patriarchy, of the white male. Who are they to tell us what we can and we can't do with our bodies? It's not possible just for me to get up here and say, the church says abortion is wrong, you shouldn't support it because you're a Catholic. It doesn't work anymore. Maybe it worked 50 years ago, 100 years ago. It is not going to work today the fact of the matter is being a catholic means that we do adhere to the teaching of the magisterium and we believe that christ gave us the teaching authority of the church to teach us infallibly on faith and morals vatican ii says that we have an obligation of religious submission of the mind and will the fact is it doesn't sit well with a lot of people today and so we are going to have to be able to struggle with that the root of it, I think, a lot of it is that same thing of liberty as autonomy. I am not going to have the church tell me what I can do in the bedroom, with my body, in my voting booth, or whatever it is, particularly when it comes to the political realm. The church is going to have to work to build up more credibility. Finally, Father, finish for the onion. What's the conclusion? What's the purpose of everything that I've been talking about today? My purpose is this not to confuse you, hopefully I didn't do that, is that we can sit here and talk about should abortion or should politicians who support abortion receive Holy Communion. we can discuss that all day long, but there are other issues that need to be discussed. That until we address these issues, this question of politicians and abortions are not going to, It's not going to be able to be answered properly. We've got to have a lot of other things that we look at too. When it comes to how we believe how we understand and how we live as christians and as catholics it's important for us to be clear to say yes we believe the eucharist is sacred we believe abortion is serious business you can't be supporting it and they need to be held accountable and again i'm not a bishop i don't know what people feel if we go ahead and i pound the pulpit and i say hey y'all i'm gonna write a letter no politicians can't receive communion this is bad I may make myself feel really great. I may convince people who already believe that things are good. But is it really going to change anything? I mean, honestly, are you going to change Nancy Pelosi or Joe Biden's mind? No, you're not. You're not going to change their mind. And so, you're not going to change a lot of other people's minds. How do we, if we're really interested, rather than just blowing hot air and hearing ourselves talk and feeling good about ourselves, how are we going to change minds and hearts? Again, you could write your letters, you can do what you need to do, fine. I can't judge that at all. The real way is going to be conversing and talking to people. A willingness to dialogue, a willingness to listen and to understand. So I talked about last summer when I talked about race a lot. Hey, we could sit here and point the finger at everybody, or we could sit down and try to talk to people that understand what is going on and have some dialogue, maybe come to some compromise. But we can't lose hope really don't think we can lose hope we've got to keep persisting i'll give you a story when i was first a pastor i was early 2000s and some of you may remember there was the debate over human cloning and embryonic stem cell research and the church very logically was opposed to that but certain individuals in our state the house of representatives passed a law or were going to pass a law allowing this to happen well, of course, we were encouraged to speak up and talk to our, to our representatives, the constituents were, to say, no, this is not acceptable. So I called the constituent in St. Martin Parish, and I said, hey, listen, I'd love to sit and talk to you. This is not a good thing. Left two messages, didn't return my phone call. And so I told him, I said, I don't want to have to stick the dogs on you, but I, I, I did. Not in a mean way, but I told the people, I would like you very respectfully to call this representative and tell them what you think. Well, they, they certainly did. And on Monday morning, I got a very irate phone call from him. Why did you tell those people to call me? I said, whoa, bro, I left you two messages. You didn't call me back. So he calmed down. I said, once you go to the rectory, we're going to sit and talk about it. And he did. And we had a very good, long discussion where I explained to him the church is teaching, but more just sort of the science and the logic of what what cloning is, how it takes a human life, and all this stuff. And you know what? He changed his mind. He went back the next week and voted against it, and it all fell through. Now, not every politician is going to do that, but it shows that we cannot lose hope. But I really think that one-on-one discussion is going to have to happen. But in total conclusion here, There are a certain faction in our nation that I will say sees abortion as not something to be tolerated, but as something sacred. It is the sacrament to these certain individuals, many of them. They will do anything they can to preserve, defend, and promote abortion. Humans tend to be passionate about the things they think are sacred holy. And so the ones who are going to often win in the conversation or, promo, or, or be more convincing and promoting are the ones who are convinced that, that things are sacred. We've got to ask ourselves, do we really think the Eucharist is sacred? Are we really willing to put our money where our mouth is and to be able to speak on that? Because the person or persons who have a greater belief in that which they value as sacred is the one who's ultimately going to be more convincing and effective of changing minds and hearts. Amen.